Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Innovation is obviously a very broad kind of term, so we want to focus here really on the innovation types and maybe here also a bit more on the digital way, but not to forget that I think the whole kind of pathway, how innovation might evolve and how innovation could be also triggered um, could also be seen obviously for medical devices, diagnostics and also for drugs. So first of all, from an economics perspective, one needs to differentiate innovation between three types. One is product innovation, the second is process innovation, and the third one is organizational innovation. I think that kind of differentiation might first of all um, feels and also I think um, um, probably look like a more theoretical concept. However, if we'll have a look on the definition of it, and also later on in a couple of seconds, um, when we go into the kind of potential incentives even, where payers, patients, and maybe other stakeholders might really be interested in, one directly can see that this is not only theory, but it's really applied theory. So we can see that really in real life. And we'll hear as well, I think the potential also different kind of perspective one from a theoretical perspective with Professor Peter Zweifel, a well-known economist, and also with the CEO of Tired of Cancer, a Dutch digital health company, um, when I speak with um, the CEO there. So first of all, the definition. Product innovation is basically a good with new attributes that are valued by consumers. This also triggers then an increased willingness to pay, which creates the leeway for higher sales and prices, obviously. Something to keep in mind, product innovation is, I think, the type of innovation we also normally have in our minds. The second point is then process innovation. And process innovation means the same product, but at a lower cost, which is always not so much something normally as well in the healthcare system patients, but in generally consumers would directly see in terms of product itself. It could also be, for example, um, when a product is more efficiently being produced. This is as well process innovation, but a lot of times this has obviously because of the lower cost. And if we assume, let's say, competition, maybe not perfect competition, but competition, this would also then have an impact on prices. Important here, process innovation usually implies a faster work pace and hence triggering employee resistance to it. Something maybe also for discussion as well with the um, theorist in the discussion later on. The third one is organizational innovation, which frequently occurs in the guise of vertical disintegration. For example, the need to perform quality assurance of its supplies may motivate a firm or company to acquire the supplier. I think there are a couple of examples, but I think especially more outside of the healthcare sector. Organizational innovation is seldom welcomed by employees who are confronted with changes in their job content. But organizational innovation is also something we could, for example, foresee, especially when now thinking about digital healthcare in the inpatient setting, but also in the outpatient. Just keep in mind, I mean, if there might be, let's say, a new kind of monitoring system, for example, in the cardiovascular area, this is an organizational change, especially when we would say this would need to be performed, for example, by a physician or services around the physicians um, in the hospital, but also in the outpatient setting. I think most generally, I think one, what, uh, what we could also say is that the impact on patients, for example, is as well different when thinking about the different innovations. I think there's a clear and strong interest in the product innovation, and at least theory suggests that there's an increased willingness to pay. 
Quite clearly, that kind of increased willingness to pay also depends heavily on the healthcare system itself. I mean, when we have a system like in Germany or let's say in most of the European countries, this increased willingness to pay is probably more, let's say, um, triggered um, towards an increased demand as we normally have universal healthcare coverage through different kind of healthcare systems and insurances. Whereas in the US, it might also be seen that there's really an increased willingness to pay, whether this is through higher premiums for insurances or maybe directly if patients would need to buy it on their own. And process innovation, there's, I think, generally a minimal interest for patients. However, if there might be savings, it's obviously something where also patients could potentially be interested. Organization innovation, very similar to that. Some interest, but I think that also depends a bit more which kind of type of an organization innovation we really have. The example of that, I think, if we have a cardiovascular monitoring system, which I think is it is an organizational innovation from host perspective, but it could, for example, also be seen, I think, as a product innovation, as this would also so mean that, for example, that kind of system helps the patient um, living a more normal life while already knowing and assuring as well that they are monitored very closely and not only when they basically visit the physician, for example, every second, third or fourth week shortly after the release um, from hospital. What about physicians? I think physicians, I think um, when thinking about product innovation, it's also quite clear. The same with hospitals also, that there's a strong interest in, interest in product innovation. Innovation is always something interesting, something being driven for, and um, only a few and some interest maybe in process innovation. I think that depends again, which kind of, uh, let's say, impact that would also have on the individuals. And there might be some more resistance from a physician's perspective on the organizational innovation, as obviously this would also mean a kind of change. And I think change management is obviously another discussion within the healthcare sector and beyond. For hospitals, there might be some interest in organizational innovation. However, also here, the big, probably even a bigger kind of change management would need to be um, triggered as well when launching an organizational innovation. What about payers? Payers, maybe in contrast, has much interest in organizational innovation because that's obviously something um, they, are, they could as well potentially even save some money. The same with process innovation because that's obviously saying more basically providing at least as good care in the healthcare system or maybe even better but more efficiently especially. And more efficiency means a lot of times for less costs. So that's quite clear why also payers, whether it's governments, health insurers, etc., might focus a lot on those innovations and maybe not so much on product innovation. Cool question. Again, this is just theory. The theoretical kind of underlying um, explanation is that payers do not want to pay, obviously, for further product innovation. But I think from my perspective, and that's maybe a good discussion also with uh, Peter Zweifel from a theoretical perspective, but also with Dor from um, Antire, um, from Tire of Kansas, or Antire is the product, and to understand whether they have as well seen something like that. Because my, my personal view is really also um, the interest might even be there. I think the first kind of question also from payers is also, first of all, whether a product can improve health care, so the care, the benefit of it to the patients. And just secondly, it's the price, which obviously doesn't mean that if the benefit is acceptable or even more than acceptable, really good, a kind of additional benefit um, that the willingness to pay is basically infinite, which is obviously not the case, but it's at least increased. And that is why I personally think, yes, I know theory doesn't show that kind of, let's say, explanation, but it's at least something for discussion. So let's just go directly into the discussions with Professor Zweifel and then also with the CEO of Tired of Cancer. Perfect. So thank you, Peter. Peter Zweifel today with us um, at the podcast session on innovation. Um, we have picked a couple of interesting things here, which are especially, I think, not only in the innovation, but also taking the innovation theory a bit around and obviously, especially from the economics perspective. So um, 
In one of your essays or in the article on the uh, digital health innovation, you also say, or maybe you claim, that there might be puzzled why health insurers and policymakers are afraid of medical innovation, even though that technological innovation is considered as an important source of cost savings in the remainder of the economy. Could you explain that a bit further? Also, maybe even backing that up with theory? Yes, I'll try. <laughs> okay. Good morning, by the way. So, yes, it's going to be a little bit of theory first. Uh, in economics, one distinguishes three types of innovation. The first is product innovation, which means that uh, services, products are bestowed with new characteristics or attributes, and they are valued by consumers. So their willingness to pay for the product or service increases. This is nice for the workers or everyone employed in the particular industry, because higher willingness to pay means that cost can go up a little bit. And this means in turn that The employer can offer more benefits, higher wages. So product innovation is very popular in the industry. The second time, uh, the second type, excuse me, is uh, process innovation. It means the same, but at a lower cost. So no fun, because lower cost usually means working faster, working you know, more precisely. So em employees hate process innovation, yet it is forced on them typically by international competition. Think of the auto industry. You know, usually uh, or it's nice to be in that industry in the, in the United States, but then Toyota came and cut the time to produce a car in half. <laughs> Imagine how works in Detroit like that. The third is organizational innovation. That's not exactly liked by the workers in the industry either, because it means that your job content is often different. So the manager comes and say, from now on, you know, this and that is outsourced, or you have to take on additional tasks. So these, uh, this is also a type of innovation that meets with resistance. So now, finally, <laughs> let's turn to the healthcare sector. Here, you have to see that people, patients are covered by health insurance. This is a beautiful invention, social invention, no doubt about this. However, it has a side effect. Am I, as a patient, still interested in lower cost and lower prices in the end. Hey, not much. My interest is weakened because usually I'm almost fully covered by health insurance, which means, say, something costs 19 instead of 100 uh, euros. Well, if my cost share is 10%, I save one euro out of these 10. That's minimum. So this means that patients typically are interested in product innovation in healthcare because that promises better healing, less discomfort, so they go for that. Okay. So from that point of view, you see what happens. This impacts on physicians. Are they interested in buying process or organizational innovation, not much. They're interested in product innovation because that attracts patients. Hospitals, the same, okay. Well, now we are close to seeing a solution to the puzzle. In industry outside the healthcare sector, there is no insurance. If I want to buy a new car, Usually, I'm not insured for that. I have to pay. So there is, little, there is considerable pressure to also perform cost-saving uh, process innovation. 
and cost-saving organizational innovation. Not in the healthcare sector. Here we have learned that product innovation is of interest to anyone working in the industry. Actually, even the patients value product innovation more. But product innovation, we have heard, increases willingness to pay and creates leeway for cost and price increase. So that's why we have this huge difference between the industry and the healthcare sector. Yeah, I think that was a good kind of explanation. Um, maybe can we turn that a bit, even a bit further? Let's say if I would think about the differences in terms of healthcare systems between, for example, the the very much differentiated U.S. So let's take Europe as a broad kind of spectrum. We know that there are different healthcare systems, but if you just take those differences, the US and Europe, do you think this might maybe be kind of difference? We all know that there's a quite huge as well, um, let's say consumer part of the healthcare costs in the US, whereas I think in Europe, it's let's say rather limited. Do you think that might maybe as well drive difference between those two continents? Or would you rather say it's probably the same because you have just brought up that example, you know, if I if I save 10%, it's maybe euro or in, in the US, maybe a dollar, maybe two dollars, but it's not really much. Yes, there is a difference even on all three counts. Let's start with product innovation. US healthcare is very much more consumer driven than the typical, say, European alternative. So this means, you know, if something new comes on the market that promises better healing, faster healing, well, you have better adopt it real quick in the United States. Okay. The second, however, is process innovation. And here, with the advent of managed care, The pressure has been big on hospitals, on physicians to also, you know, adopt process innovation because, you know, there, there has been lots of pressure to cut cost. So even hospitals in the United States, they, they don't like process innovation because uh, that creates rifts, uh, you know, clashes of interest within the hospital. It's not fun. Still, you know, managed care puts that pressure. So you have to achieve cost savings. The third is organizational innovation. And that, of course, is the big distinction between most of the European continent, maybe with the exception of the Netherlands, where you do have what we call managed care or, you know, integrated care. Uh, Integrierte Versorgung in German language. Uh, Switzerland actually also has managed care options. Those two countries, little is around. It was invented in the United States. And so, you know, this is a third type of uh, invention or innovation that um, otherwise in Europe is much less common, we have seen. So organizational innovation means that physicians' interests or incentives are somewhat turned around. They can participate in cost savings uh, in managed care. Uh, usually also in the United States, employers are called upon to negotiate on behalf of their employees. And then they have maybe, maybe 10 so-called managed care plans that they can select and then negotiate on behalf of their employees, which puts, of course, quite a bit of pressure on hospitals and also physician networks. That's where managed care was invented. And well, you know, let's be a little bit guarded. Managed care or, you know, this uh, integrated care has the potential of cost savings rather once and for all. But it is very hard to decouple yourself from all the product innovations that's going on because then you would lose your clients, right? 
patients want to have access to the newest, especially in the United States, right? But to some extent here in Europe as well. So uh, the whole trend is still the same. Okay, I think that's. Uh, I think that's. Uh... That explains quite nicely, I think, that kind of um, trend as well. I mean, even that you said it, I think, already, but um, you might know as well that we have, uh, let's say as well, people coming from the, let's say, more technical background as well into our kind of podcast and uh, especially out of the, let's say, company side, maybe more from the, let's say, business instead of economics, let's call it. Um, so could you again just very briefly maybe as well summarize why and in which ways innovation types basically are preferred by different, let's call it innovator firms? Well, look at the product innovation. That means that new properties are quote, installed on a service. Well, you know, I as a patient am very much interested in that. And as a physician, I would also want to offer the newest, attract patients, the same for hospitals. Well, uh, incentives are not quite the same with <laughs> process innovation. As you might imagine, that means that some superior says from now on, you know, we have to act in different ways. Is that popular with the employees? Not likely. Really not. Uh, it means adjustment. It means usually working faster, more concentrate, what have you. And uh, job content often changes too. Okay, the third is organizational innovation, right? And here, again, <laughs> willingness to pay, uh, no, willingness to adopt to that, excuse me, uh, is, is not particularly high. It, it's not fun. Uh, to be all of a sudden in a different division, have new tasks and this. Now, in industry, international competition is so tough. Anyone working, you know, outside the healthcare sector will confirm that, gee, you know, if the Chinese come up with something new, we had better shift gears and fast. Please. In healthcare, you're protected. I mean, I would like to go to Schwarzwald Klinik for treatment. Oh, have you seen all those beautiful nurses and, and the surroundings are great. Maybe my generation still knows that TV series about the Black Forest Clinic, right? Well, no way I can go as a Swiss. I must go to a Swiss hospital. No way I can go outside. Germany is a little bit relaxed, more relaxed. I think you can go in Mallorca, I think. That's an exception. That's your endless <laughs> first <laughs> province or member state by now in terms of health. I understand. But otherwise, you know, you are supposed to go to that hospital in your region. You're supposed to go to that particular physician, maybe even in some cases. Okay. So uh, things are really different in the healthcare sector and pressure to adopt innovation, especially cost-saving innovation, is little. Here, health insurance comes in again. You see, if I'm covered by health insurance, and I say in, in Switzerland, for example, you have a cost share of 10%. Well, let's start again with the example. Someone uh, offers me a service for 90 instead of 100. Okay, great. My cost saving is one unit. So why should I? You know, uh, maybe I'm afraid that quality would be lower. I certainly opt for the better quality and say, well, that one Swiss franc, would it, it would be, or say one euro, that just doesn't count sufficient series that happens. So the whole system in our context is biased mm -hmm. in favor of product innovation, which usually may cost a little bit more or even some quite a bit more because 
you know, health insurance protects me from the higher cost. Right. And I mean, if we maybe even think that step further, as you just said, there's quite good incentives for product innovation because of the increased willingness to pay, which might have then the kind of impact on the prices. Let's take the kind of whole systems and negotiation, whatever side. But I mean, if I as a payer would maybe have a look on that, I would rather have, let's say, not so much of an incentive to look for further, let's call it kind of innovations. I think maybe the kind of breakthrough, yes, but that might cost me really significantly more money, right? So would you think there are differences as well in terms of, let's say, healthcare product innovations? If we if we say, for example, we have drugs, we have medical devices, we have now digital healthcare, is there maybe anything would you think that which might drive a kind of rather um, bigger willingness to accept, let's say, from a payer's perspective, these different kind of innovations? <laughs> I'm <very> skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> you see, especially in Germany, but Switzerland is not much different, and I don't think many other countries, except maybe the Netherlands, are much different. The leeway for health insurers as purchasers of services is severely restricted. You have a list of benefits that you have to describe to because it's centrally set. I think that's a fair description of uh, the typical European system. So, hey, what can you do? I mean, you, you cannot say this innovation is too expensive for me. I don't believe that my insured members are willing to pay the higher premium or contribution in the end, because I accept this in the list of benefits. You don't have that leeway. Sorry, it's it's very constrained in our European systems. You know, I don't want to be overly critical of either Germany or Switzerland or, or France or, or these European systems, but in that point of view, the uh, American insurers have more leeway. They really have the leeway to negotiate, you know, and negotiation can fail. And then uh, you have to really think twice about the prices you want to charge as an innovator. Uh, at the same time, you know, Americans are different from us. If, if there's something new on the market, we want to have it. <laughs> that also explains to some extent why in the United States, you know, the the share of the gross domestic product devoted to health is maximum. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting a bit critical. We make fun of the United States healthcare system, but hey, who pays for the innovation first? And you know, the first access to innovation is always the most expensive one. We know that from other markets. If you want to have the newest computer, you, you, you pay extra, right? Okay, so <laughs> the Americans pay extra to have access first to anything that comes on the market, and of course, including drugs. So no wonder they pay, and we Europeans can copy afterwards. Our access is a bit delayed, but you get things cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's actually a very good point. I think people would, we should as well remember. I think now, also nowadays, I mean, when we're speaking about the vaccination and COVID, right? <laughs> yes, what? indeed, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that answers, I think, some part of that already. <laughs> very good point. <laughs> Fully agree. I mean, interestingly, I mean, we have as well a couple of uh, startup companies um, already basically around the launch time, especially in digital healthcare out of Europe. And they still target few European countries as a first launch country. I mean, if I follow you, and I think from a, I think theoretical perspective, also from learning from the drug industry, I would fully agree with you. But could you imagine anything from a theoretical perspective why they would first go to Europe? Even that I think from a, let's say, also, I think skimming the kind of maximum willingness to pay and then going down would say first start with the US and then go maybe to some other countries like Germany, Switzerland, and some others. Anything in mind? No, that's that's really puzzling. 
That's, that's really puzzling to me because let's face it, the United States market is still the one with the most fat, as one says, in the industry, all right? So maybe you could uh, use this as a strategy. You say, you know, if I get access to some European markets and maybe can turn around Brussels, so I'm in at the EU level, maybe I don't have to rely so much on the United States mm. anymore. And sooner or later, even the Americans might say, hey, this is a good product and we want to have access to it and then I can cash in, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that could make sense. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean... Listen, I'm, I'm not in the pharma industry. <laughs> I would have to learn a whole lot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but did maybe just take... Again, maybe the industry aside, because I, as you said, it, it might just be a kind of further puzzle, right? And we just will learn probably also over time. And maybe digital healthcare is also different because maybe, in, let's say investment, uh, also investment costs are significantly lower than for example in the, in the drug area, right? I have maybe one uh, extra explanation, and this is risk aversion. I mean, if the FDA tests you and finds out that your product is not safe enough, for example, then you are in worldwide troubles because everyone looks at the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration of the United States, and then you really messed up your market. So maybe you find some lenient, more lenient <laughs> regulators in, the, in Europe who also say, well, you know, we try the European way, and then you might finally, with the backing, say, of Brussels, uh, try your luck in the middle. Yeah, I think that could be maybe a kind of explanation. Could also go into the direction, maybe, let's call it an economic policy or innovation policy. I mean, we know that from a couple of countries, right, that maybe sometimes it's a bit easier in your home market, right, instead of yeah. uh, like maybe going first uh, to some other markets. Um, taking that into account as well, I mean, from your perspective, what would be your recommendation to healthcare politicians, maybe <laughs> mainly in Germany, Switzerland, but maybe also European-wide, in order to really have further incentives for innovation broadly <laughs> in healthcare sector? All European countries, maybe except the Netherlands, are stuck in the mire of regulation. Let's face it. <laughs> Sometimes say healthcare, at least in Europe, is the last bastion of centrally planned economies. Think, can you just open a hospital? Can you just launch a new product? Can you integrate ambulatory care and hospital care? It's, I say, it's very hard. So <laughs> can I tell a policymaker, get rid of your central planning, please? <laughs> That is such a loss of influence and power. Think of just you know, a hospital closure anywhere, not only in Germany. Well, that's a revolution almost. It's very hard to do. And the and then an important thing is, and we touched upon this very uh, quickly before, the lack of international competition. You see, uh, almost all the other industries of our countries are exposed to a good deal of international competition. Okay. Now, imagine as a foreigner, what are your chances to open up a hospital, not only in Germany, but also in Switzerland, in France, and <laughs> try, okay? <laughs> what is your chance really to take over a pharmaceutical company even? Well, pharmaceuticals is the most international component of the whole health healthcare system, right? That's where you, I think, really have a degree of international competition. But it's very hard. It's very hard to get, you know, into the 
regulatory maze of, of a country and they are all different. And so you have to adjust. It, it's not easy to launch an innovation in those countries, in, in the industrial countries. Well, so as a politician, I wouldn't listen to the advice I would give a person because I would, uh, he, he or she realized quickly I would have to give up power and and open up to international competition. That's terrible enough in all the other <laughs> industries, right? You lose influence. Uh, you don't have a chance uh, to please your constituencies. So healthcare is probably the last bastion. Yeah. I see how they will defend that to the last, you know. Taking the, the kind of step further, right? I mean, because you said recommendation, ooh, difficult. I mean, if I now recall what is currently being discussed in the US with the, with the Biden uh, administration and around the drug pricing, I mean, if I would take what I have now just heard, I would rather say, hopefully drug prices are not being dropped in the US because that might just kill the incentives for innovation worldwide. Would you agree? Well, if it's... Per fiat, I agree. The problem is, you know, we think that healthcare is private in the United States. Guess what? More than one half of it is what we would call social. Medicare, Medicaid moves at least 50% of the bill. So <laughs> it's not that private in the end, right? And so, of course, if I were a pharma producer, I'd be afraid that, you know, if 50% of the market moves in one direction, the others, of course, follow suit, and then it becomes difficult in the United States, right? Mm. And the, the United States is the market, uh, let's face it. So what could, what would be a solution, And <laughs> in my view, is that everything can per be purchased internet. To some extent, the United States, they, they do have some experience, you know. I recall that those managed care organizations of California used to send their patients to Hawaii, beautiful Hawaii, because it was much cheaper to have them treated there and even pay their relatives a trip every month to beautiful <laughs> Hawaii than to support half-empty California hospitals. And they close now. Not possible, as far as I know, in any country of Europe at this time, right? That's so, true. if at all, you know, I just I'm against that exclusive focus on pharma. Mm. I have suspicion; it's ideology. Mm. The pharma industry is the op the only component in healthcare that is openly in pursuit of profit. The poor physicians only want to achieve a decent income, right? If you look at the components of that, it's a profit as well, exactly. but no one calls it. Right? <laughs> so that's a great ideological victory for the healthcare sector, you know. And of course, the nurses, uh, they, uh, they work for almost nothing. So income is not important usually, except now. Okay. But so here is the big divide. You know, hospitals are uh, also not for profit. Well, if they have something extra to spend, they spend it on nice surroundings and nice perks for you know, their physicians and employees, but that's not profit. So uh, that's a difficulty. I don't know. Uh, if I knew how to get around this, I think I would be a well-paid advisor of the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point, maybe. That's true. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, thank you, Peter, for your very good, insightful um Maybe advice as well, maybe not so much for health politicians, but I think for one or the other, maybe innovative firms at least, and also the explanation how and where maybe incentives could and should and are maybe as well being driven for 
innovation. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay, have a good day. Hi, Dora. Thank you for the acceptance also taking part in that uh, podcast series on market access. I think t today and I think within that episode, also focusing a lot on innovation. And I think before maybe going into some of those kind of details, I think it would be great if you could as well summarize, I mean, what and which ways you have your innovations. So very briefly describe maybe the product you have, a very innovative product, I think, um, within your company. So my name is, is Dora Funk. I'm uh, one of the founders of the entire app. Um, the entire app is a self-help program for cancer patients who suffer from fatigue. It's an app, so you can download it from uh, mobile phones. It's easy to use and it helps people to get insights into their psychological, but also physical behavior during cancer treatments but also after cancer treatments. And the, the aim of the app is to help people after gaining insights, uh, feel better, uh, have more energy and better able to cope with the energy levels during and after cancer treatments. Um, so our innovation, we started this project and by we, I mean, Dr. Bram Kuyper and myself, Dr. Bram Kuyper is a psycho-oncologist, um, has been working with cancer patients for more than 30 years, so lots of experience. Together, well, almost 10 years ago already, we had the first idea to make something largely scalable to help cancer patients with uh, cancer-related fatigue. And cancer-related fatigue is the biggest side effect of cancer and its treatments, and it's often um, not mentioned. So it's a very big, big problem with a large impact on people's personal lives, but also on society, of course. And there's no real treatment uh, for it. So with our background, so my, my background more uh, fundraising and management in healthcare organizations and Brahms background together, we thought we have to make something which is, well, reachable for nearly everybody worldwide, we were very ambitious and we still are, uh, to help people with this big, big problem. So that really was the, the first and, and most important driver to, um, to start this innovation. And from the beginning, we, have, we didn't have a clue of what it would mean to make something like an app uh, and everything that it entails and well, 10 years we are more uh, more prepared we have developed uh, something scalable uh, it works it's proven uh, scientifically proven CT study so uh, that was the starting point from our um, of our initiative okay very good kind of introduction I think it shows already a bit I think um, where probably also innovation is, is coming from I think there might be a kind of, in this case, obviously an unmet medical need, but let's call it from an economics perspective there, there's potentially somewhere a demand, right? I think that is maybe one of the drivers I try to figure out uh, from what you have said. Um, if if I could be a bit provocative here at this stage, and I would be really keen, I think, to, to, to listen also whether that was uh, as well being discussed in the early phases um, of your endeavor um, for, let's say, product innovation itself. And the entire app, I would say, is a product innovation, not a process or, or an organizational innovation. There is generally, I think, an, an increased willingness to pay. I mean, probably by patients, but I would also assume from health insurances. And that's, I think, also one of the, kind. I, I think, core drivers maybe, at least from the theory, right? Have you had in mind that there might be a, at let's, let's say at least a decent willingness to pay in those early days or were there any other drivers when you basically sat together also with your co-founder with Bram um, in order to find ways to bring that product to the market? Our really, our, our, our biggest driver was the, was the content, right? And, and the, and the wish to help uh, millions of people worldwide. That was our first and, and most important driver. Only It was only after a few years that we realized we needed to 
um, to prove a case, to prove a health economic case, uh, that it's not only beneficial for patients and their well-being, but it's also beneficial for society. Um, because, and that's where we're now looking for and also uh, doing more research on, is how and where can we prove um, where we can save money with uh, using the app? And it makes sense, of course, I think for everybody, it makes sense that if people feel better, they are better able to live their lives, uh, personal lives, but also work life, for example. Uh, and on personal lives, well, you can, it's, it's so easy to understand that if you feel better, you will sleep better. Uh, you will be more open to do some physical exercise. Therefore, your mind uh, works better. So it's, it's so obvious that it has a lot of benefits, although, and the most difficult part for us is to prove, and you really have to prove to health insurance companies, for example, to start with, uh, you have to really prove where it saves money. At least that's in the Netherlands. And I think every country is different. It's also cultural differences. But I think overall, and it's something you, as a as an innovational startup, you really want to prove that as well. I mean, it's also uh, important for your own sustainability, right? That's um, to prove how many euros you will save um, with using or uh, that people use this, this app. It's very difficult, though, because... <clears throat> Uh, although everybody, well, with with common sense, they understand that if people feel better, um, people well tend to sleep better. Maybe they use less sleeping uh, medication. Uh, people sleep better. They will uh, be more open to do physical exercise. So it makes so much sense that if people feel better, the economic value will be better because people are better able to function in, the, in their lives. But to prove that in Euros, that's what we're going to work on. Uh, and it is one of our, our focus points indeed after, um, well, having, um, having had this beta version up and running, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of our focus points to, to, to really state that we also save money. It's also very important to be um, sustainable in your in, that, that you can prove um, that you save money to for your sustainability of your of your company, so that's what we are working on right now. Okay, perfect. I mean, you said that let's say the economic component was also let's say included. Let's call it in your equation uh, in order to bring an innovation to the market at a later point in time. Could this be linked to let's say finding as well than the funding? Because I mean, first of all, I guess you would need the idea. I think that might have been driven, as you said, by the unmet medical needs or patient need. Um, And then finally, and secondly, obviously, you as well just said you need to prove that it works, right? And for that, you need obviously some kind of funding. Was that the kind of point in time where this was also, let's say, brought into the discussion that also thought about? You mean uh, to to find uh, funding for 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 development, etc. Yeah, I mean whether the economic, let's say, idea, um, whether that was linked directly then to the funding, or whether that was totally independent. You said we need to have funding, and then we could as well see whether we need to find maybe some, let's say, economic arguments for whoever the payers would be. Yeah. Yeah, So so the stars. In, in, in the early days, uh, we were very uh, well blessed with um, having found founders who were who also believed in the idea to help people. So it was that that were the first founders, and I think that's very recognizable for for lots of startups. You begin with the good idea, and and you really have to believe in it. Um, um, once on the road, and and after a couple of years. Um, you need more money indeed you need more funding um when you're going to more professional funders or professional uh, vcs for example they need indeed the the economic proof because if you cannot prove that you have economical benefit as well um you will never able to build a real and healthy company mm. and it's not that that the first driver should be that you to earn a lot of money it's the economic, well, the, the rationale be, behind it. That's so important. That's what more professional f- 
VCs would like to see, but also for um, health insurers. So health insurers, at least in the Netherlands, they are open to these kind of innovations, but they will be more open if they see, hey, we can save money uh, because, for example, using the app replaces expensive uh, psychological treatments. That's when it gets interesting for payers. Mm -hmm. And if it's interesting for payers, then it's interesting for VCs as well. So uh, at the end, it's uh, if you want to be a company, I mean, it's if you want to be a for-profit, you need to have the economic uh, benefit proven. If not, you are more a non-profit and that's okay as well. Mm. But then that's a very different uh, field uh, and it's not likely to be reimbursed, for example. So it was not our choice to be a non-profit. We wanted to be a for-profit, although a social and one with um, mental well-being of cancer patients in mind. But then again, also we'd like to be a um, sustainable and healthy company. So that's uh, that's where we are right now. Okay, very interesting. I mean, it, it's interesting that you said as well, payers are also interested in such kind of innovation. And I'm, I'm, I'm very curious on that because that was also a discussion which we had with, let's say, our theorists within that podcast, Professor Zweifel, um, who is a, obviously a strong economist. And he was saying um, theory would basically show that Uh, payers or health insurances, governments, whoever the payers are, uh, would have no interest in product innovation. I was as well already challenging him on that point as well. Um, so I would be pretty much interested. Take me with the cost side and the cost savings first in, let's say, brackets. So put that a bit aside because I think you said earlier on that also payers would be interested in such a kind of product innovation. Was that as well your experience, maybe directly then in the Netherlands early on? Well, yeah, I, in in Netherlands, definitely insurance companies are interested in, in innovation, and their driver should be and is probably um, to see if we can organize uh, healthcare in a more effective manner. And I think that's their driver. So we have we we come from different uh, drivers, but then again, we we meet each other somewhere in the middle. Uh, so I think definitely there's interest in innovation, although for, with another uh, idea behind it. It's just that what what we see happening is that there's so many people uh, wanting healthcare, and it's getting expensive for more expensive every time and again. Uh, and with uh, these innovations, we can we can slowly, I think, it's slowly grow into another healthcare system. And it's happening faster, I think, now due to COVID. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think definitely there, there's interest in innovation. Yeah, and that, 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 that makes sense as well to me. I think that was also the experience I would share maybe from the German side and the German perspective as well. I think there is interest in, and interest it needs to be proven. That's quite clear. But at the end of the day, there's at least a general interest, even though yeah. that maybe that's maybe then the next part of it, right? I mean, if I would say that there's, let's say, interest, and I would also say that payers, at least in Europe, um, they should also act on behalf of their patients, right? And I mean, if there would be an increased willingness to pay for an innovation by patients, that should also be potentially, um, let's say, increase the willingness to pay for payers. That's theory, right? I mean, you brought up an interesting point, and I would uh, like to see whether your opinion is also going to that direction, that maybe it's not itself maybe the price for that innovation, but it might be rather the kind of bigger impact, right? Whether this is the pure budget impact for innovation or whether that might maybe even be the impact on other parts, like you just said, maybe digital health applications could as well support, let's say the management of budgets for payers um, based on different drugs, which are available. Would you agree with that? Uh, first, willingness to pay from patients, if that's what you mean. Mm -hmm. um, we, at least in the Netherlands, and uh, uh, I think it's it's more worldwide as well. Mm -hmm. I think the perception of <clears throat> medical related solutions, like we are, like the entire app is, people have the perception, hey, but this is a medical thing. My insurers should pay for it. Why should I pay for it? So I think on an individual base, 
there's not a high um, a high likelihood that that it will be paid by patients themselves. It really should be embedded in healthcare systems, and that's what we are convinced of as well. Mm-hmm. And for healthcare insurers, so payers, indeed, like you said, whomever that is, like the health insurers or government, or they have, of course, in mind the the benefit for the patient. But at the end, I think, and it's only reasonable. Um, it should so so the entrance of digital health should make the system more uh, effective, cost effective at least. Uh, and what also I think very important with digital help, you can help uh, more people with the same budget. I think than uh, for example in our case if if we only would have face-to-face therapy, there's only a limited amount of people you can treat. With a digital tool like Entire, you can treat much more people with the same budget. So at the end, it will result into better uh, health of people, which leads to better, uh, well, better results and better uh, economics for society. At least that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that that makes also sense. Moving a bit, uh, let's say, more into the political phase, and um, I think that's uh, probably also maybe the, the kind of question, again, for the early days of, let's say, innovations maybe. And what, what is the recommendation you would give to healthcare politicians or even broader to politicians in general in order to, let's say, have further incentives for innovation, maybe in the Netherlands, but also maybe across Europe? Mm, good question. Well, I think the in, the incentive should be that as a country, a government, a politician, we need to have in mind the well-being of all citizens. So also cancer patients in our case. Uh, well, our experience in the Netherlands, for example, with uh, healthcare professionals, so oncologists, we see there's a high interest to use these new new tools. And the reason behind that is that in our case, uh, oncologists or, or nurse practitioners, they have something in hand to give to patients that they didn't have before. So they can, they can really help and give better care than before. That's, that's the incentive uh, for health professionals. And they... Uh, are able to have a better communication with their patients. So I think there's an incentive uh, for them. I think for for politics, I would say that's for me. It's, I think that's a difficult for me a difficult uh, question to answer. Um, I think at the end, if you look at at country world, so country in general, um, you should strive for a better uh, enhanced healthcare system. And um, with all the challenges we have, but also all the um, digital uh, solutions we have, we can make it we can make it more effective, thus less cost uh, less costly, so more cost effective. And at the end, that's that can only be good for for a country, right? I think. So I think that's maybe that's a vague answer from my side, but I think it's so obvious for me that it is something if we use it right, and we are still in early days, but if we keep going with this innovation altogether and we organize it in a good way, so not everybody inventing the same wheel, if we really work together, at the end we can come to a very effective and beneficial healthcare system for at least the same budget or maybe less and have better healthcare. And I think that's that's so obvious for me that, that you would want to strive for that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's that's my answer. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's already, I think, very good kind of summary points. I think it's, it's probably, uh, let's say, seeing also a bit beyond the product itself, right? I think yeah. it's, it's a very good kind of point that you just said, look, I mean, maybe this is a product innovation, again, coming back to theory. But um, at the end of the day, this product innovation could also have positive impacts on processes or organizational kind of aspects. 
and yeah. ultimately could even be utilized as a kind of, let's say, budget management tool, especially when we speak yeah. here about the digital health innovations. I think this is a very, very good summary, I, which I think um, is maybe also a good starting point from the, pre- from the practical perspective for health politicians, but maybe also for theorists to maybe think a bit broader than uh, the current kind of theories uh, look like. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you very much, Dor. I think that was a good discussion and looking oh. forward and obviously good luck also with your product in the future. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.